Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in the Bay Area, but not for much longer because I've decided to go home as borders come crashing down. Today I'm joined by Emma Burnell in London. Hiya. Friend of the show. Uh, Benjamin Jacobs, who's in Cranston, Rhode Island. Greetings. And my podcast wife from another podcast, Claire Asprey. Hello. Who's in Luton. I'm not in um, Luton. I'm in Bedford, but carry on. Thank you for the I know, I know, but it's all the same over there. Um, in and a you live in Wolverhampton? That's me. <laughs> In a week that has seen uh, the world declare war on the coronavirus, we've decided to check in on each other. Very obviously, the world is in the grip of the most serious crisis since World War II. And what I thought we'd do, instead of just really rattling and prattling through, and dare I say, regurgitating, putting our spin on what other bits of news we might have actually gleamed in the last two or three days, I thought we'd have very much um, a human conversation between myself and my friends, people who I respect, but also they're in the grip of this crisis as well, but also with a couple of people who will have an idea of local government's response to specific bits of the pandemic. So that's the reason why we're joined by Ben, Beardy Ben, and by the wonderful Claire, uh, joining Emma and I on this week's uh, Mid-Atlantic. I mean, let's go over some of the details of this. The president says the solution to the economic pain from the coronavirus outbreak is a massive rescue package. He's asking Congress for a huge bailout, and it is one that, as you mentioned, would include cash payments from the government that would be sent to most Americans within two weeks. It's going to be bold, and the level, again, of enthusiasm to get something done, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. 
This morning, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin will be meeting with Republican senators about the president's plan. He will ask for a total of $850 billion to deal with the economic fallout from the coronavirus. $50 billion of that would go to help bail out the airline industry. The president also wants to see the government send cash payments to Americans immediately to cushion the economic blow from the outbreak. No word on exactly what the amount of those checks might be, and the payments would not be sent to millionaires. Also, the package would include allowing people and businesses to delay tax payments without interest or penalties for 90 days beyond April 15th. We must act like any wartime government and do whatever it takes to support our economy. And that's the the main purpose of of this uh, press conference this afternoon. We must support millions of businesses and tens of millions of families and individuals through the coming months. And to do that, the government machine must and will respond with a profound sense of urgency. Thousands of brilliant officials are already working round the clock, but we must do more and faster. This is a disease that is so dangerous and so infectious that without drastic measures to check its progress, it would overwhelm any health system in the world. And I've used the Italian health system. It is excellent. And the problem is not with the health systems. It's the numbers of of sufferers. That's why we announced the steps yesterday that we did, advising against all unnecessary contact, steps that are unprecedented since World War II. Ultimately, to beat this crisis, we will need a combination of better science, technology, medicine, data, government, operations, economic support, learning from other countries, and social support. As time goes on, we will learn more and more about the disease and the effects of our actions. And while we need national unity, we also need international cooperation. And although we now need to impose physical distance between ourselves, we must at the same time have closer social support for each other. First off, things have moved so fast that um, come Sunday, um, I had no plans to fly back home to the UK, but I have two parents. Uh, My father is 75, my mother is 72. And if uh, this pandemic is going to go on as long as August, September, who knows? I can't be away from my parents for that amount of time, not knowing what shape they're in or what help they'll actually need. So I've decided to, to fly back on Thursday. First off, let's go with you, Ben, because I know that you have um, a small, uh, a relatively young child in your care. How is the emerging crisis affecting you personally? My family has a, we've got a bunch of health problems. Uh, my mm-hmm. wife has reduced lung capacity and a variety of chronic health conditions. My daughter is nonverbal. So um, the what Rhode Island did is they do want to set up e-learning, but they have not done any planning for it previously, uh, which is something of a theme. Um and so they, what they did is they took the April break, moved it up. So this, this week school's closed. And so all the, uh, all the childcare options are off the table. Uh, meanwhile, you know, in, in my household, we've sort of had 
cold symptoms, flu-like symptoms for weeks now. Um, and, uh, you know, just this past week, uh, my daughter spiked a temperature and then my wife did. So we're sort of like, well, I can't go to work, but we don't know necessarily what's going on. Uh, so we've been scrambling to try and get my wife tested while trying to manage a nonverbal four-year-old <laughs> mm-hmm. at home who's slowly gro- going, uh, she's already recovered from whatever it was, of course, but, um, you know, slowly going stir crazy, um, <laughs> as are we all, I suppose. And yeah, so, uh, the, the big thing is just trying to get tested even, before we come on to testing and maybe the, the lack of testing that has been in the United States, uh, personally, um, how 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 has the state been with you working from home? Is it just a case of just work from home? Is there any particularly particular uh, mandates for you to be able to effectively still do your job but officially still be working from home? Um, so, no, uh, <laughs> that's not quite right. So the the state the governor has issued an executive order saying that anyone who can work from home probably should be, uh, you know, encouraging bosses to be flexible about that kind of thing. Um, the director of my division is, uh, you know, somewhat new. Uh, she's really, uh, been trying to shake things up and be a force for positive change. And so like eight months ago, she put in to try and get, uh, the, e-work you know teleworking thing uh going and set things up for people like me who need very expensive gis softwares uh to do our job and you Mm -hmm. know access to my my data at work um and it's sort of been let's say it's been a slow process that hasn't come to fruition yet and so all of a sudden now there's this emergency and uh, the, you know, IT department is scrambling to try and get everybody set up for doing teleworking. And so, um, it's, it's been a real struggle. Basically, um, we're, we're all putting in for telework one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me and a couple of my colleagues who do similar kinds of, uh, work that require very specialized programs. There's sort of, it's sort of a, either we're healthy enough to go into the office or in my case, I'm staying home. Um, tomorrow I'm going to start teleworking, but basically I'm just going to be doing work for other people. <laughs> that isn't my usual job just so mm-hmm. that I have something to do and I'm not burning a year's worth of sick time. So it's still, so even though the governor has basically said that people should be working from home, this is still counted as sick time you working from home at the moment. Uh, for right now, I haven't been doing any work because I haven't been able to. Um, okay. So you know, starting tomorrow, we're going to finagle it basically so that I can be technically doing teleworking, mm-hmm. but gotcha. it's, you know, it's not my usual work. And until, you know, it gets around to setting up, some sort of system for me to get to my desktop remotely. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm either burning sick time or I'm doing someone else's work for them. Um, uh, the UK's response to the Corona emergency has been somewhat different 
from continental Europe. Um, first off, why is that? And can you kind of sum it up for us as to where the UK government actually is now in terms of uh, self-isolation and mass gatherings? Well, I think we've actually caught up with the rest of Europe now, but they were doing it quite slowly, deliberately. And their gamble is that by doing it that way, there would be a shorter period of time that people need to do it. Um, And their thinking was that people are going to get bored and will start breaking the rules. So the the shorter, the the more contained you can make it, um, the better. But things have moved very, very, very quickly. And we're now pretty much in um, in lockstep with not places like Spain, where they've basically just told everyone to stay in their homes, but everyone is being told to socially distance. Um, lots of things have been shut down. Um, we're, I mean, I'm, I, because I go to the theatre a lot, as you and your listeners will know, because I'm constantly banging on about it with our takeaway of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, that most of the theatres, I mean, I've just had email after email after email today saying this, we've closed. And, Uh, This is cancelled. My ballroom dancing classes were cancelled, which is very sad. (laughs) Um, I just, just mastered the rumba. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And people over 70 and people with underlying health conditions are being told to self-isolate for 12 weeks. Um, That doesn't mean simply stay in your home. Uh, You can walk the dog, but you shouldn't go to the supermarket. For example, um, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just really scary. Um, they've also announced just now um, a huge packet of economic measures to try and help people get through, which I, I'm, I haven't seen the detail yet. I don't think anyone has, but um, there's things like a mortgage holiday for people who get coronavirus, um, p- um, business rate relief which will help some small businesses, although it won't compensate for the lack of earnings. And that's where the real worry is. Um, uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Uh, by the way, I'm just, that's hay fever, not anything more serious. <laughs> but you always have to say that now, don't you? It's so odd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think uh, my parents are self-isolating. Um, I uh, got a call from my dad on Sunday and um, my dad is just, he loves his family like so, so much. And he always wants us to be around. Uh, and he, when he lived an hour away from London, I used to stay over the night there. And I've never stayed overnight in their new house, but he always, always wants me to. And I'm like, dad, the whole reason you moved here is so I could drive home. Um, <clears throat> but he called me to say, don't come over. And that must have been the hardest thing in his life, to call his children. My brother is supposed to be coming from Australia in May. That's very unlikely to happen. And if he does, my parents won't be able to see them. And it's his 40th birthday. That's what he was coming for. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, the, the personal impacts are already taking a big toll. Um, I'm, I'm, In many ways, I'm really, really pleased that my dad is going against his nature. He is behaving exactly as he should be behaving. They're doing everything right. But it's going to be a very, very long year. Mm. It's been stunning for me seeing how uh, the the San Francisco Bay Area has, has closed down 
progressively closed down in the last week. Um, early last week, I could drive down the 880, one of the main kind of freeways that straddles the East Bay, then go across the bay. And you know at whatever time of day, there's, you know, what the level of traffic there is actually going to be on that road. Mm. Tuesday of last week, there's noticeably less. I flew straight into um, San Francisco. Wow. And uh, I was just traveling around. And I would say by then it was maybe 25% less traffic on the road. By Sunday, um, you felt like it was Christmas Day. And being in the center of, of San Francisco was a, utterly an eerie experience, considering it was, you know, it, even though it was a Sunday, we're talking about a city which um, is very much a tourist hub and is a conference hub. And just taking away those people, let alone local people, then deciding not to go out. Um, it felt like you were driving around on, on Christmas Day. Um, Christmas Day, uh, the Christmas Day of Christmas days. You know, there was literally nobody out on the streets. And the one thing you, you one thing it did really amplify for me was uh, not that it needs uh, remarking upon, but I will say is the level of the homeless problem and the the people who are in um, housing despair and distress here, because those are the only people out in in the centre, actually. Um, of the city it was absolutely marked um so and then on, on a personal kind of p- p- point of view um all of my friends over here are working from home the schools have closed i think the schools closed last week end of last week kids was just not going to school anyway and then increasingly teachers just weren't turning up so we've had the governor here basically um say that's enough of that. You know, there are no mass gatherings. And as of yesterday, um, the gov- the governor, and I think there's been coordination between the various local bodies. So uh, the city of San Francisco with um, the city of Oakland, et cetera, et cetera, basically said no pubs, no bars, no no anything. And, and uh, I got a tweet from the SFPD basically saying, we are going around to to bars to enforce the fact that they will not be open. You know, it's not doesn't quite feel like Italy levels of lockdown, but this is um, utterly um, utterly unprecedented, and a lot of it has been, as I said, um, kind of self enforcing first, and then uh, the local governance, whether it's on a city level, or county level, or state level, has then kind of caught up. Uh, throughout the week and and decided to enforce this this in effect this this lockdown claire obviously you have a daughter just give us an idea of how uh, your work week is going to be uh, kind of structured considering you're a single mother so i uh, just had a notification today from my daughter's school that they're sending her um, home for three days uh two year groups in the school mm-hmm. um my daughter is gutted that it's not her year group um and um that's basically because as uh you know even even before official school closures which are not happening we are getting to a position where as um staff are having to self-isolate the ability of a school to carry on in their normal way is reducing 
Um, mm -hmm. So I think this is a sort of proactive uh, attempt to manage that by sending home children who are broadly old enough to stay at home without adult supervision, but not the year that taken their exams. Um, and um, so that's literally today. I and mean, we've had different announcements every day this week from school. Um, and uh, at a personal level, my uh, my grandma is in a care home and we had a notification just before the weekend that every resident was only allowed to have two nominated visitors. Um, so I didn't get to see her this weekend because I wasn't on the list of two nominated visitors. Uh, and as of today, we've had the notification that there will be no external visitors to the home. So um, I don't know when I might see her next, actually, or if, because she's very frail and she's 96. Um, so I don't know how that's going to pan out. And, um, you know, but my parents' generation are all over 70. So, they're you know, I spent an interesting hour on the phone yesterday trying to get my dad loaded up on WhatsApp and from a distance and it not working. Um, so uh, there are... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know some kind of technological things that we can overcome but um, we need to sort out I spent some time getting my mum and my stepdad or both on a kind of NHS app on their phones mm. and uh, yeah so there's, there's a lot of just putting stuff in place really and in terms of work um, I have a fairly small team and we're all geared up to work from home so uh, we are lucky in the sense that we are able to do that but um, we may you know, we may have to redeploy to other sorts of work because um, anything that's less than essential or critical would, um, you know, fall away for the things that are clearly more frontline services. So um, we'll wait and see. But at the moment, what we're doing is just um, shifting how we do meetings. We're doing more virtual meetings. We've got the capacity to work from home uh, and particularly where staff have underlying health conditions um you know it's it's easier for them to not have to travel on public transport or come into a big busy office so um we're accommodating that if possible mm. uh ben quick question to you because it, it can seem somewhat uh complicated or confusing uh to at least us brits looking at um american governance at the best of times but could you just give us some kind of sense uh, it doesn't have to be de definitive, so I'm just throwing this at you, but just give us some kind of sense as to what um, regulations are truly federal. What is the purview of the federal government to do with this? And then what is the purview of uh, state or local uh, go governments? Um, if we do deal with the United Kingdom, just as an example, fundamentally, the, Boris Johnson's uh, writ runs uh, through, throughout the whole country and stuff. But I'm very struck that here it's a case of uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has been saying and doing things and closing down schools, etc., uh, way before uh, the, the, the federal government, uh, the Trump administration, took things particularly seriously. So just give us a, a, just a rough sense as how things break down, please. Sure. So um, from a constitutional level, there are two people in the United States, um, if you will. There is the federal government and there are the states. Mm -hmm. uh, local governments don't exist except at the pleasure of the states. So that's the first thing to notice. Uh, although in 
practice. That's not necessarily uh, what happens. But so you have the federal government, you have the states. The federal government has control over interstate commerce and things that are related to that. And they have the power to coordinate the states and they have the power to manage programs that are uh, countrywide. But um, what the way that that works, people don't even in the U.S. often don't realize this, is that um, essentially the federal government can set regulations and then provide resources, but the actual on-the-ground work is done by the states um, in order to basically work within the boundaries of the constitution. So for example, the federal highway bill that was passed in the the fifties and basically governs how roads are done in this country to this day, the way that works is that there is a federal department of transportation. um, There's a federal highway administration. They set policy, they have regulations, but what they actually do is that they then take big bags of money and hand it to the state departments of transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just an example. So the, in terms of a disease outbreak like this, you have the federal government, which has some powers to, uh, to control things, but really only in the case of absolute emergencies. The big federal character is the CDC. Um, and there's some other agencies that are supposed to cooperate with the CDC. Um, the CDC is, uh, they're supposed to have the capacity to, uh, generate resources, uh, physical, financial, whatever. Um, most of the financial resources end up going through FEMA in emergencies, the federal emergency management administration. Um, but really what the CDC is expected to do is to have done research and be able to provide guidance um, a lot of that capacity certainly exists. Uh, and then they're also supposed to help uh, coordinate the science end of things as it develops, sort of in real time. Okay. In terms of everything else, that's the states. Uh, in, you know, in as much cooperation with local governments as they choose to permit the local governments. Okay. And then uh, I suppose a similar question to you, Claire. If there is a particular outbreak within the city of which health services have to react to, is that purely something which the city of Nor, the county, etc., then needs to find budget for? Or would there be some kind of national body, some UK organisation that will kind of swoop in and, and provide you with the funds? Just give us a, a rough kind of sense of how things kind of break down on, on a UK level, please. Well, I think some of it is quite unclear at the moment and obviously there are going to be increased costs and I think that you know it'd be nice to see central government be more proactive about some of that um at a at a local level there's a lot of activity which is happening and my understanding at this point in time is that there will be a requirement to cover it in a local budget but with the hope that there will be some kind of support coming back from central government later on but I don't know if that's I don't know where that's going to go so again it's, it's a very very rapidly changing picture um, but the need to mobilize uh, is going to take precedence at this point and obviously the way that health is funded in the UK is um, you know it's quite a complicated picture because we have a number of different types of health trust and body. So um, 
without getting into too much detail, obviously it's a national health service, yeah. but we have a lot of local health provision. So we have a clinical commissioning group at a local level, uh, but we also have the trusts that run the hospitals or the mental health trusts. Um, you know, there are there are different forms of organisation that manage different parts of the system. It isn't a single sort of uh, monolithic system that the NHS uh, it is uh, quite a diverse picture of providers and commissioning and you know obviously the, the money is effectively central government generated but each uh, organization will have a sort of responsibility for its own part of that uh, and then they would work and collaborate at a local level uh, and then also at a regional level where that's you know required so it's uh you know it very much the focus is on um you know partnership and, and making stuff happen uh, mm -hmm. at this point yeah, that's pretty similar. It's not how it's supposed to work in the U.S., but that's <laughs> similar. Mm. Uh, Emma, um, obviously, the world is going to um, has gone headlong into uh, what's going to be um, a major recession. Um, which industries are do you think are particularly on on the front line? Obviously, it's going to affect every industry eventually. But which are the industries which um, are going to feel the effects of COVID nineteen first? Do you think? Well, I think we already know which industries have felt the effects, and it's largely those who have um, part of their supply line based in China. Mm -hmm. um, that that has been a real issue for a lot of um, auto manufacturers. Um, in particular, but also other people. Um, but I'm not sure that there's going to be an industry that will not be affected. Um, I, I, you, this is this isn't the kind of crisis where there'll be winners and losers, it, or at least it doesn't feel that way. Um, because the thing with governmental response is that usually what they do is bring in measures to convince consumers to go and spend more. Mm -hmm. That is the way um, that a government will basically get itself out of a recession. But they can't do that because they don't want us going out and spending more. Um, they don't want us buying things online and sending lots and lots of Amazon delivery drivers to everybody's house. So um, their tools are a bit blunted because they can't really do the demand side, um, which is where a lot of the problems are. Mm. I just I just add to that that um you know in, in Rhode Island but in a lot of places the service industry and the tourism industry are you know, extremely important and they're like it's almost like no one's complaining at this point to a certain extent it's, I mean that's not entirely true there's definitely people who are complaining but you know it's it's almost like they are I get it I get a like you know the UK going into World War II kind of feeling like this is going to destroy us, but it's what we have to do kind of thing. Um, you know, these are small businesses operating on thin margins with without corporate backing. They have mortgages, they have employees, and they're just shutting up their doors and, you know, locking the doors and walking home. Congress and the White House has approved an $850 billion stimulus package but um, today. But you are, you are correct, Emma, that it's kind of hard to understand other than um, giving people, let's say, 
people who can't afford to pay their mortgages and their rent, etc., things like that. It's hard to see actually where that money can go into the economy immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we are economy, particularly um, in the UK in, and the West in general, that's largely run on services. Um, we've, you know, we've outsourced a lot of our manufacturing um, and we are run on retail as well. You know, we, we buy a lot of crab um, mm. and that's how we, we send money flowing around. Um, I think one of the things that will come out of this, and I'm actually writing this piece at the moment for Prospects, um, is a newer sense of why we need a state. Um, whether that state be at state level, local level, or national level, or supranational level, it's actually, you know, um, just as there are no atheists in a foxhole, um, there are actually no libertarians in a coronavirus crisis. But, you know, uh, whilst, whilst my gut is completely utterly to agree with you, let's say if I am a lizard brain, uh, totally right-wing thinking libertarian i could turn around and say self-isolation it's every man for himself that's libertarian i could say look at look at europe you know in this dream of pan-european uh, brotherhood germans have now erected borders everyone's putting them up um, you, 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 right here and now you could say that uh, you've been vindicated no, I wouldn't agree with that because self-isolation isn't about protecting yourself. It's about um, community. It's, it's about her um, contagion. Um, so self-isolation is actually not a selfish thing to do. It's an unselfish thing to do. Um, it, it's important that we all do it, but we're not, for, for most of us, um, if and when, and it's more when than if, as I understand it, we get the coronavirus, it will feel like a mild flu. But it's unlikely to feel like a mild flu for my dad. Um, so I have to self-isolate to protect other people. Um, so I honestly don't think that's the case. And also, um, you know, the US government is spending, what, 600 and something billion dollars. Um, the UK government have just announced 300 plus billion pounds. Um, you know, that is the kind of input into the economy that two weeks ago, maybe even two days ago, Tories would have been screaming about. Is, is that what we're going to see um, as an upside uh, to this, is that in, in America, and let's go with you, Ben, and then on to you, Claire, let's say in America that uh, the state will be vindicated, that, um, and also um, scientific thought is going to be vindicated because uh, there's been an erosion of uh, the respect that we pay towards people who have actually sat down and studied things. You know, we, we, we live in a world of instant reactions of people saying, well, to hell with the facts, this is what I feel and whatever. And, and, and maybe if there's going to be any good that comes out of this is that uh, people... Um, who have degrees, uh, doctorates, etc. Uh, we're actually going to take those people a little bit more seriously, aren't we? What do you reckon, Ben? It's hard to say. It certainly feels that way right now. But uh, you know, the the flat Earth people are still out there. <laughs> um, they're you know 
they may be just sticking to their own circles. But there's there's certainly, if you look online, there's plenty of people who are denying that this is even a thing. That are you know, but, but, sure, that but surely that's been overtaken by the fact that you know the denier in chief Trump has turned around yeah. yesterday and his tone changed. Yeah, I, I would say that they're on the back foot. <laughs> uh, but they they have uh, you know several decades of uh, momentum, political momentum behind them. Uh, it's. You know, and it's it's down to how things get managed over the next couple of months, um, how bad things get, and how the narrative gets shaped in terms of why things happened this way. Uh, that I think is going to shape how things go forward in terms of this stuff. Um, you know, if if we all can just sort of say, you know, hollowing out the CDC, for example, was a bad idea. Mm. Uh, having an entirely nationalistic uh, but, approach to trying to develop yeah, testing kits come on, though, was ben, a bad idea. Ben, ben <laughs> that's that not something that the Trump administration did. That was Obama's fault. Trump explained that last week, didn't he? So it's all Obama's <laughs> fault, even though he did it. You know? Yes. I mean, that's the thing. If he's able to shape that narrative with a substantial portion of the population, then, you know this is going to end and we're going to go back to hollowing out the state and, you know, mm-hmm. this will happen again. Um, I think that it's, it's fair to say that there's a, a, for most of the people in the United States, there's an extremely limited appetite for that kind of spin right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have my own echo chamber, so I don't know if mm-hmm. I can speak for, you know, you know, the most of the population to be sure. Okay, ju- just to wind this down, because I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware that, um, as we said at the start of the show, we can't really um, just go through um, all the news that's happened in the last 24 hours, because by the time I edit and put this out, half it will be redundant. Um, but lo- looking forward, um, everybody just go, I'm going to go through everybody, just give us a sense of how this is going to impact your future plans or the things you are looking looking forward to um, and, and how the fact that corona, the coronavirus has come, how this is going to, dare I say it, change those plans. And I must admit, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Um, as somebody who is um, crazy about the sport of football, real football, and the fact that I, I'm a Birmingham City supporter and we've had a, a fair to middling season in the second tier of English football, and as ridiculous as this sounds, I can't help but feel sad for those Liverpool supporters who haven't won the championship for 30 years and are running away with the Premier League and the league might get cancelled. And, it, and it's ridiculous in the greater scheme of things. But as somebody to be even worried or concerned about this, uh, but I do love sport. I do love football. I quite like Liverpool. and And it's something which... Um, in the greater scheme of things, doesn't really matter. But um, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be like, bloody hell, you know, the cosmic forces of injustice have have managed to come and even rip this away from us after we waited 30 years to to win a football championship. Um, As I said also uh, towards the start of the show, I've decided to come home, cut short my uh, American trip. And we had... um, a live show for Dum Dee Dum, one, one of the podcasts which I do, scheduled for May the 19th in London. 
Uh, and I was planning on coming back just before then to go and do that. Though it hasn't officially been cancelled, I think we can safely say that that's not going to happen. I haven't heard from the venue, but, you know, it's almost definitely not going to happen. And um, so that's just like a couple of ways uh, of which this, um, on, on a very personal level, uh, is going to affect me. Uh, what about you, Claire? Yeah, um so I was supposed to be going to a wedding on Saturday. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not happening. Um, and I just, I hadn't got anything particularly booked in. Um, obviously, my main concern is stopping my um, isolated relatives from going around the twist. And mm-hmm. um, I do have tickets for the Twinwoods Vintage Festival in the end of August, August Bank Holiday weekend. And at the moment, I'm still holding out some flame of hope that we might be over the worst of the curve by then um but i think it's very much it's a long way away so uh, we'll just have mm-hmm. to see how things progress um but uh, i think one of the things what, that, what, I, what, what what is that festival claire is that some some cider drinking thing no it's um there's a there's an old world war ii air base up the road and it's where the glenn miller band was based uh, as their oh, okay. base um while they were going out and playing to the troops in the war and then that's where he flew from on his last flight and never came back um so uh it's in about its 13th 14th year now but it's got bigger and bigger it's fantastic it's literally just up the road from my house so um uh yeah so it's a lot of fun and i've been going with my dad for the last sort of three years uh this will be our fourth year and um yeah so they have a, a lot of vintage music and style from the sort of 20s jazz age and bluegrass stuff through to the kind of 60s and uh most of the people who go dress in vintage and it's just fascinating to to just watch the crowds it's great dancing and there's great music so it's a lot of fun but um i'm still hoping that it will be far enough away that it'll be okay but we'll see Mm. how about you emma any immediate plans which, um, you know, uh, have gone for a Burton? Sorry for our American listeners, you're going to have to cancel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I was supposed to go karaoke this weekend. That's not happening. Um, I had theatre practical every night. Um, that obviously is not happening. Um, I'm probably not coming to see you in June, which is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, I mean, I feel absolutely so sorry for Claire's friends who were getting married um that must just be awful um I was going to get back into dating but I guess that's not going to happen (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah and mostly it's just you know normal stuff nothing huge yet but um you know uh, just the world shrinking really Hmm. uh last word with you Ben over in Rhode Island So this is actually kind of interesting. Uh, If you take the economic stuff with work out and put it to one side, um, you know, because my, my family has so many um, health issues, I don't do much. Uh, I'm, you know, traveling more than a day is almost impossible because it's hard to get the the kid to sleep in a strange place. Um, You know, it's tough for us to go out because we, we've had trouble finding babysitters and, and stuff like that. You know, there's an element where uh, this is just the rest of the world coming 
to live the way we have been living. It's a little bit more extreme, but the reaction of everybody starting to do online social events has actually been great for us. Um, like my, my dad tries to come up every, every so often for a visit. Um, instead of doing that, we did, uh, you know, Skype dinner or, you know, online dinner for two nights, the, the, you know, the nights that he would have, he was, he had been planning to come up and that was lovely. And it was actually less stressful than having to try and take my daughter out to a restaurant. (laughs) And, uh, and now I've got all these friends who I, you know, don't get to see very often who are setting up like game nights and stuff. And it's like, I can actually participate in society and that's kind of (laughs) a nice change Mm. in a very strange way. Um, it, it, I really wish it, the circumstances had been different, but it's really nice to be able to be included in, uh, in society again. Um, if we can get the, you know, the economic side of this all squared away for everybody else, you know, uh, you know, by that same token, I've certainly got a lot of friends who are musicians and stuff who are, you know, completely up certain creeks, Mm. um, right now. And I feel terrible for them. And I, do need my work situation to be squared away, but yeah, I literally um, just had a message from my cousin who's a barman and, and he's been laid off. So. Yeah, exactly. That. So, yeah, that's sort of where where I'm at. It's mm. a very strange place. It's not. This isn't how I'd want it to happen, and there there's a lot of restrictions, and it's very scary. Um, worried about my wife's health and everything. On the other hand. I'm getting, you know, from a mental health standpoint, I'm getting more social interaction than I usually do. And that's kind of positive. So Mm -hmm. interesting perspective. And I think um, just to kind of end up on this, you're looking at the far reaching consequences of this. One of them, I suppose, is going to be the fact that there's going to be much more flexible working in the future when employers and employees realize that um, there are a whole load of industries where people can uh, effectively do their work from home um, yeah. you know that is going to be one massive upside for this um, specifically looking at the US is this going to push the ideal of true universal health care closer to becoming a reality because maybe one of the outcomes here is that Americans will see that all Americans need to be covered and that the country needed a unified health response to this pandemic. What, what do you reckon, Ben? I would hope so. Um, but uh, we're not going to really be able to know how the best thing we have for, you know, taking the temperature is probably going to be the next couple of primaries, but then those primaries may be disrupted as well by the, the pandemic. But, you know, I, I think the, the argument in this case is pretty obvious. If, if People aren't, you know, we're, we're looking at situations where people are having to pay like $4,000 just to take the test without even dealing with like what their hospital treatment and quarantine is going to cost um, for people who, you know, are flipping burgers or something or doing some other, even if it's, even if they have a decent paying job, but it's an irregular job, the current healthcare system is just not going to cover that. And so they have lots of incentives to not participate in sensible quarantine procedures, uh, you know, all the economics are, are against them doing so. So it, it's, 
it's a pretty clear public health argument that like, if you don't want the guy flipping your burgers to be giving you coronavirus, probably we should be paying for public health care. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. It's been such a talking point since the 90s. I don't know how much people's opinions are going to shift from one crisis like this, but it, f- from my point of view, everything is up in the air right now because of this crisis. Uh, there's so much narrative that's being shaped on the fly that, you know, we'll, we'll, we're just going to have to see what happens. Who knows exactly when this is going to play out and how it's going to play out. But um, let's move from COVID-19 and us uh, looking at things understandably in a sanguine and negative way to our takeaways of the last seven days. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If ever we needed uh, something to uh, pick up our spirits and uh, and a way which we can embrace our fellow man, it's uh, after... I can say the week, the, the last 24 hours, the last two weeks, the last month that we've all had as being citizens of planet Earth. So I'm going to turn to you, Ben, big bearded <laughs> Ben in Rhode Island, for you to go first and tell us about something which um, is going to make humanity smile. Do you remember the movie Dragonheart? No. It was panned critically. Uh, it didn't deserve the hate that it got, but it was not a good movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it involved Sean Connery voicing a giant CGI dragon. Um, <laughs> and then uh, otherwise a very nice, very stupid little fairy tale story. So are you telling out- us that we should all go back and rewatch this? Yes, but there's more. Okay. For some reason, this movie that everyone hated when it was released, except for maybe a core group of cult loyalists, um, they made three sequels. (laughs) And they're all on Netflix. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, if people are looking for something to do this week uh, or in the next week, um, I haven't done it yet, 
but a a Dragonheart and sequels uh, marathon seems like a very nice way to pass some time, possibly consume some intoxicating substances, and uh, you know if you can get uh, get your friends to uh, watch along with you on on whatever video service you want to do or follow along on Twitter, that might be a fun fun way to pass some time. You know what, Ben? You haven't sold it to me at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm keeping it real, sir. But uh, other people can make up their own minds. Um, how about you, Emma Burnell? Um, yeah, I think um, we've all just been thinking about like how to better spend leisure time alone. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to reread all of the Terry Pratchett no- Discworld novels from start to finish. Um, I love Terry Pratchett and he makes sense of a confusing world for me a lot of the time Um, and I think that that kind of humour and pathos and heart will be exactly what I'll need so that's what I'm going to do Awesome and what about you Claire? Well uh, I also discovered an old film on Netflix this weekend (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, I sat on the sofa with my daughter Saturday afternoon and uh, we watched, well, a lot of stuff actually, but we we watched Clueless, which is a sort of mid-90s sort of teeny comedy, which is very, very, very loosely based on the story of Emma by Jane mm. Austen. Um, yes. And... After which I'm named. Oh, really? Well, ah. yeah, I was supposed um, to be and then my mum read that book and then named me after the main character. I'm like, but why? She's awful. Oh, but she's so famously <laughs> disliked, but no, di- unlikable person, isn't she? Not that you are, of course. Um, yeah, so I, interesting. I mean, it's sort of mid 90s, and um, I, I, was, I was, it was probably slightly, I don't know, maybe I was slightly too old to have seen it when I was a teenager. So I don't know, really, but um, actually, it stood up pretty well. I thought some of the music was cracking. Mm-hmm. The the fashion was yes. well a lot of fun, um, <laughs> and um, actually, it really, really brought home to me how that kind of it's that kind of valley girl speak that you know I hear from my twelve year old daughter now really kind of came to prominence. I feel like in that era, and mm. um, you know, and we're still living with it now. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, but it was actually quite a lot of fun. So uh, worth a worth a relook if you've not seen it in some time or never. If I can just add to that, uh, I was coming to age sort of around the time that that movie came out, and it it sort of says something that every band from that era that I loved, I end up finding out that they were on the Clueless soundtrack. Uh, it's just one of the best soundtracks. I, the the movie isn't my personal favorite but the soundtrack is just absolutely stellar yeah no great music uh my takeaway is i watched a film uh called 21 bridges and 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 as an aside to this because i think 21 bridges is still in the cinema um obviously uh cinemas movie theaters um are going to take a massive hit but I'm presuming uh, that, um, and I've kind of read this, that a lot of films which were planned for theatrical release in 2020 are going to go straight to streaming. Uh, The Black Widow movie is kind of one of them, the big Marvel movie, which is coming out in May. But 21 Bridges, um, it's the story of a heist gone wrong. 
and it's a very simple movie. It stars Chadwick Boseman as uh, the one cop who's a good cop, who goes after these two wrongs um, who've uh, tried to uh, nab this coke from uh, this restaurant. They know there's a. They we're told there's some coke in in the fridge of this restaurant, and they go there, and there is literally. 50 times more cocaine than they were ever led to believe. So what do they then do? And then the police turn up and then all hell ensues. But the police do not turn up to arrest them. And that's the great thing. And it's called 21 Bridges because there's 21 bridges outside, uh, out of Manhattan. And the criminals need to get out of Manhattan uh, with the, uh, with the uh, cocaine loot, so to speak. And what's brilliant about it is you don't have to think too much about it. It's beautifully shot very well acted and you completely side with the criminals and you want them to get away with this you want them to get to find that bridge to to get over uh, to get out of um, manhattan so they can go off with their loot the secondary criminal is just played so well and your heart goes out to him he's very smart you understand he's in way over his head but he's a good guy and as i said it was just a very simple film you just watched it it didn't have to engage your brain there weren't loads of subplots and meta other meanings but the writers still managed to flip your sympathies and you want the the bad guys in inverted commas the bad guys to get away from the good guys the cops because the cops are not that good. So 21 Bridges is my recommendation uh, for just a, a great movie you can watch with the family and everyone can take something away with it, uh, from it, sorry. And then very lastly, I was saying this to Ben just before we started recording, I found myself falling down YouTube rabbit holes about World War Two, And um, again, as I was saying to, to Ben, as somebody who uh, loves history, um, World War II is a gateway drug into history. It's very easy. You know, the bad guys are so fucking awful, right, that you can't help but uh, be interested and fascinated and just shocked by the inhumanity that man can display to, to his fellow man. And the scale of World War II is just epic. You know, it's the ultimate, uh, in, it's the ultimate Hollywood movie. Uh, the bad guys are dressed really well. They have the best uniforms, the coolest helmets and whatever, but they're fucking evil. And then uh, the world finally gets it together to defeat the bad guys. So it's very easy as a teenager to fall in love with World War II documentaries. And, and, and also because you can f- physically see the footage in a way that we can't really with any other major conflict that goes on beforehand. So I've fallen into this YouTube rabbit hole of... Um, watching Time Ghost History, where there's a guy called Indy Nidell who sits in front of a camera in a World War, in a, sorry, in a 1920s, 30s kind of set and tells you um, in about 30 minutes a specific bit of either World War II or intra-war history. So whether it is how Mussolini came to power or the Italian invasion of Abyssinia or, and this is where I really just like, you know, dare I say, self-jerked myself. It's a case of looking at the the, uh, the constitutional breakdown of Yugoslavia 
uh, and how the king in 1929 then uh, assumes dictatorial power because the country just did not work. He goes into such fascinating detail and does it so well, so engaging with him just looking towards the camera and you feel completely like he's just talking to you. This isn't some dry lecture at all. Utterly brilliant. So Time Ghost History is the channel and he's done the First World War, he's done World War Two. World War One is um, the Great War. Then there's the interwar period. But it's just brilliant. Time goes history. Go listen to those. Uh, watch those, sorry. And then, if you really do want to nerd out, and I know us boys do, but the, the Eastern Front is, um, again, uh, it, it, it's the ultimate World War Two front in terms of it's millions and millions of men, strategic massive blunders, uh, soldiers coming back uh, without eyelids because they've frozen off. You have uh, the mass starvation of, of people. It's just the numbers des- desensitize you as to what actually went on when you look at the Eastern Front. But there's a British guy called Tick, T-I-K, who um, I think is from Manchester, who sits in his study and goes through, uh, reads you the runes, so to speak, on... Um, what happened on the Eastern Front and why some of our uh, preconceptions, i.e. the Germans were defeated in part because because of the Russian winter, etc., etc. Um, and he does it, again, in a very engaging way. His production values are not as smooth as Time Goes History, but um, my God, does he know his stuff. He's read every book on the Eastern Front uh, and all and of all the commanders, and has a mysterious, majestic uh, overview and, and take of it. So, um, whilst we're all sat at home with our loved ones, I think uh, we're going to need some self-isolating from our loved ones as well, aren't we? And to take our laptops and our tablets into into our bedrooms and whatever, and just splurge and indulge ourselves on some streaming media. And I can't recommend the film Twenty One Bridges. And time goes history enough. Um, ben Jacobs, it's been wonderful to have you on, sir. Great to be here. Um, why don't you tell people uh, what podcast you're doing, where they can find you on social media? Sure. Uh, so um, when by by night, when I'm not a planner, you fight crime. I fight. I fight crime by making a podcast about early modern <laughs> Europe called Wittenberg's Westphalia: <laughs> The Wars of the Reformation." Uh, although we actually haven't gotten to the early modern period yet, we're still doing deep background, and I'm three years in. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's uh, Wittenberg to Westphalia: The Wars of the Reformation. Uh, the website is www.podcast.weebly.com. Uh, I'm uh, on Twitter at www.podcast. Um, and uh, there's a Facebook page. There's a fan group uh, that's very active. So come check me out. Uh, how about you, Claire? Um, what other podcasts do you do, I wonder? Oh, well, <laughs> um, I co-host a podcast called Map Corner, where we celebrate Oh, that's fascinating. I know. And uh, yeah, we celebrate maps, mapping, cartography, travel, Claire, can can I ask you a question? How does a mapping podcast work on a podcast format? Because that sounds like a contradiction in terms. Please sell it to me. Well, you'd be surprised how people can speak so eloquently about a visual medium. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but I hear that your co-host is a bit of a dud, and you 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 literally have to carry the show yourself. <laughs> if it were not for the co-host, there wouldn't be a show at all. Ah. So that's Map Corner dot space. Indeed. I believe is the URL for that. Great. Um, do we do we know what the next uh, Map Corner podcast will be about? Other than just maps, of course. Um. I can't think off the top of my head. We'll have to have a um, production meeting. We'll do that after this one then, shall we? Sure. Brilliant. Uh, Emma, what about you? Uh, well, sadly, I'm not on Fun With Flags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, Roy, I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Claire. Sharky, Mayor. <laughs> Um, but I can be found on Twitter at Emma Bunnell underscore, uh, and I am on various podcasts whenever anyone asks me to be on one. Um, but I also have a monthly podcast called The Zeitgeist Tapes, which is where me and a professor of political history take a piece of um, popular culture, so a TV show or a movie or a book sometimes, uh, even we've even done a play, um, and talk about how it depicts politics so the most recent one we've done very fittingly for this local government based episode was on parks and recreation oh fantabulous uh of course you can uh contact me well there is i do have a presence on twitter but i can't spell uh, grammar goes out the window so you, you might be horrified if you follow me on twitter uh, but I, sorry <laughs> you're perfect for twitter <laughs> yeah, Absolutely, then, I suppose. Uh, but I do do a whole kind of smorgasbord of, of podcasts. Podcasting is what I do. So, and I actually have a tiny bit of news. Um, I, my very first podcast was a thing called How Jamaica Conquered the World, which looks at the spread of Jamaican cultural influence. And people say, what? How could Jamaica conquer the world? And the whole point is that the island of Jamaica is only 2.7 million inhabitants and it has a disproportionate effect on modern world of popular culture. So without, without the island of Jamaica, there's no hip hop even. Um, the first exponents of uh, that uh, creative form in the United States were all Jamaican and Caribbean immigrants. And that's just kind of like one way. And that's before you go into the more obvious uh, links through the reggae and Rastafarianism, etc. Um, so I did that back, started that in 2012, and really by 2014, and my other podcast had kind of somewhat taken, had uh, really taken my attention away from that. But I was approached by a publisher to put that into book form um, last week. So it's been a, so um, if you are um, a fan of that podcast, um, a book should be coming out in the next 12 months or so Ooh. yeah so um really didn't half uh, make make my uh make my week last week uh, to be uh approached by a legit publisher and uh and yes so and they've given me a contract and um how jamaica conquer the world will be with you in book form other than that i've just finished um a podcast 10 american presidents uh with Corey brett schneider who's sometimes of this uh, podcasting parish uh about uh, the history of impeachment and then of course uh, i do matt corner with our claire there's dum de dum which i do with our lucy and intelligent speech and a whole load of other things besides but that's me uh if you want to know more about what i do go to royfield.com 
Um, that's been us somewhat downbeat, I think, for understandable reasons. Um, just trying to put a very human face on the pandemic, which is sweeping the world. Um, and without wanting to lash out too much about the, the various powers that be about their response, because um, if we're all human, we can say this has taken us all by surprise. Uh, and um, we are going to have to pull together, uh, whether it's um, families, individuals, communities, societies and nations to combat uh, the most serious health crisis, the most serious crisis full stop since the end of World War II. We need to do this together. Take care. Look after yourselves. See you all again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.